Hello, this is Comeback, this is Connor, this is episode 140. My guest today is Will Everett. Will is from the UK and is an NLP practitioner, CBT coach, clinical hypnotherapist, mental health first aider, and a positive mindset coach. We're going to talk today about his practice and a bit more. Will, welcome to Comeback. How are you today? Thank you so much. Um, yeah, I'm really, really good. Thank you. It's um, always nice to hear someone read out my um, qualifications, <laughs> what I do. Um, sometimes I don't always think about it. Um, but yeah, really, really well. Thank you. And thank you so much for inviting me on. It's a pleasure, mate. A lot of these topics I'm fascinated by and I'm looking forward to delving into them further. Before that, is it okay if you tell me a brief overview about your background. Whereabouts are you from in the UK? And I suppose, what was life like growing up? Uh, I know, oh God, I'm going to sound like one of my clients now. I had a pretty happy childhood. <laughs> I did. Um, it, it, I had a good upbringing. Um, my parents split when I was seven years old, which caused um, kind of, oh what's the best way to put it? I guess it was kind of a trauma but not, not really, really bad, but something that I buried deep um, in my mind. Um, but my, pa my um, parents were, my mum was amazing. She remarried and I've got a brother, twin brother and a sister. And we grew up in Essex in England, uh, which is on the southeast coast, uh, South End on Sea. Um, yeah, positive memories of childhood and, um, you know, led to me, uh, moving away from there uh, positively to London, which is where I am now. And I'm currently in Hampstead, Northwest London. Okay, wicked. And with that then, you've obviously, as I read in the bio, covered quite a bit in your career so far. I suppose just to summarise, how did you start out in the work you do in self-development, shall we say? I used to work for Waitrose, which is a supermarket here, a food, food supermarket, and um, it, uh, it led to me managing quite a large team at one point. I managed 135 people, and I found that I had to delegate tasks because I couldn't do them all myself, and it was a need for myself so that I could do the work I had to do um, without trying to spin as many plates, as I always call it, um, Otherwise, I wouldn't have got it done. But while I was delegating and training people up to be able to do those tasks, I noticed that they got enjoyment from taking on extra responsibility. And that led to me really enjoying developing them. And I had to do a management course as part of my training. And I was offered to do a coaching course, which led to um, me signing up for an NLP course. But while I was waiting, I did the clinical hypnotherapy certificate then I did my NLP master practitioner course. Um, and then last year I qualified in a diploma in clinical hypnotherapy. So basically that's where my passion came from developing other people. I then started doing, when lockdown started last year, I started doing a load of classes, meditation classes for a couple of gyms online. And then that led to one-on-one -on -one clients. And I got so busy by the end of last year, at the time I was managing two gyms, I got so busy with requests for therapy that I left my job and now do therapy full time. Okay, excellent. And I am going to ask you more about that, especially the particular aspects such as hypnotherapy, NLP. 
But just before we go into those details, do you mind telling me a bit about your own mental health experiences, perhaps? Have they influenced your practice at all? Yeah, absolutely. When I was in 2012, I was in an emotionally abusive relationship and I had depression and was self-harming. And I went to the doctor and um, she's a fairly young lady. And I remember feeling quite, I mean, I wasn't that bothered by her age. I just remember thinking, um, you know, how awkward it was a little bit to talk to her about what I was going through, although I am quite open. And she said to me, um, I told her my story and she said to me, do you want me to sign you off work? That was the first thing she said, do you want me to sign you off work? And I thought, if you'd actually asked me, you would know that work was the only stable part of my life. So I said, no. Mm. And then she just said, okay, I'm gonna give you some pills. And that was it. So she signed off the paperwork. I went and picked up antidepressants. I took them for four days. I felt so rough and tired and not myself. I flushed them down the toilet and I got um, a really good book called The Secret by Rhonda Byrne. Really and I, yeah, and I pulled myself out of depression and stopped self-harming. And I thought, I never want anybody else to go through that again. And although my belief is if a doctor prescribes you pills you should take them but what I'm I'm kind of on a mission to show people that pills aren't the only answer so I don't say don't take them I just mean don't stop there because therapy is out there and there's many of us that just want to help people yeah. so that kind of it's always is it is it the reason I became a therapist no but it is um, part of a driver the driver for me to help people yeah, of course. One thing that struck out there was The Secret. I've also read it and found some clarity within. Uh, are there any other books or any other outlets? This could be speeches, videos, books that helped you along this journey as well, or was it primarily that Rhonda Byrne book? With the depression that I was going through, it was that book. Um, there was another book I read by Tony Robbins called um, uh, it's The Power. Power of something. Unleash Power, the power Within. <laughs> Yeah, I think so. I didn't read a lot of it, to be honest. And at the time, it, I mean, the book is by Anthony Robbins and I didn't even know who he was. I don't tend to read, my friends get frustrated with me because they send articles and clips and videos of other coaches and therapists and say, oh, watch this, they're so good. I don't watch anybody because I'm not influenced. I don't want to be influenced by anybody. It's a bit, it's not the right reason, to be honest, because I could be inspired by others, but I just tend not to to read or watch other people. Everything that I come up with is all mine. So I, I like how that works for me. Right, excellent. And I'm just trying to think which area to go into. Was hypnotherapy the first practice that you went into? Yeah, that was the first qualification I did. Um, obviously I wanted to do a coaching course and I was down to do that. But because um, hypnotherapy is closely linked to NLP, they recommended I did hypnotherapy, a hypnotherapy course. And my initial reaction was, well, uh, I've always been fascinated by hypnosis. I remember as a child, I watched a film about a hypnotist who regressed a lady through her past lives. And there were different stories, black and white story, really old, old film. And I was fascinated by it. So when the opportunity came up to, to do that, I jumped at the chance. And I really found it um, really, really interesting. And that's why I 
ended up doing a diploma in it and um, finishing last year. But um, yeah, that is the first thing I went into. Um, but I did, I qualified, I think it was like March 2014. And by the end of the, that summer, I'd done my NLP course anyway. So they kind of back-to-back -back courses. But when I did my NLP, I felt like I, I did a lot of it already. I thought I'd made it up. I went through the whole course thinking, I do this already. How did I even know this? I don't know how I knew it. I just thought I, well, I, in my mind, I'd created it because I hadn't learned it from anywhere. And so I was very, very closely aligned with NLP when I did it. But hypnotherapy was the first course. And that's been my latest qualification um, before the mental health first data. Yeah, I see. Well. And with that uh, NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, what actually is it for people who are unfamiliar with NLP? What, how would you describe it? Um, it's, uh, it is behavioral coaching. I've got a post on this on my page, I'm just gonna read it. Um, because it's, um, it's a way for people, in our minds, we build up strategies, right? We build up, um, I like to call it um, our Jenga block. Do you know the game Jenga with a bricks? Yeah, I'm familiar. We build up a structure in our mind that is um, based on our beliefs and habits and behaviors. And I help people pull out the blocks until they come crashing down and then build a new one. Here's, here's um, something from my Instagram page about NLP. A model of interpersonal communication chiefly concerned with the relationship between successful patterns of behavior and the successful patterns of um, behavior underlying them. All right, so the thought patterns. A system of alternative therapy based on this, which seeks to educate people in self-awareness and effective communication and to change their patterns of mental and emotional behavior. Um, that is a description by the, one of the NLP creators, Dr. Richard Bandler. Um, so I can do anything from um, phobia cures to changing mindset. Uh, a lot of the this, this stuff I would use is kind of undercover. You wouldn't know I'm doing it, basically. Yeah. Um, but I, I, it's, it's, it's just a different behavioral coaching method to seek patterns and kind of that strategy or that structure that we build up in our minds to keep those patterns going. If they're a negative pattern that isn't working for us, I would go in to, I say go into your mind. I do actually um, talk to you to destroy that strategy or that structure and build a new one to create a more positive, healthy um, structure within your mind. Yeah. And how long would it take to replace a negative, debilitating belief with a positive healthy one would you say well it depends what it is a phobia um my my mum had arachnophobia so she had uh fear of spiders for over 40 years and um, when she was in her early 20s someone threw the top of a tomato at her and it went down her top so you know the green stalk part yeah, at the yeah. top on her top and she thought it was a spider and that created the fear of spiders that escalated into a phobia. And I got rid of that phobia in just over five minutes. Wow. So she'd had it for 40 years. 
I did three different techniques of structural change, um, visually, auditory, and um, kinesthetically, um, and it had gone. So she, what I did was, do you want me to say, yeah, I did it. Yeah, I yes. I don't normally give away my secret. <laughs> <laughs> In her mind, her, her phobia was maintained from the memory of the original event that caused the phobia. So in her mind, she could see the stalk of the tomato coming at her and going down her top and then her subsequent reaction to it. She also had a physical sensation um, when she thought of or saw a spider and there was an auditory um, response as well. So first visual one was the stalk coming at her. The, the kinesthetic or feeling, physical feeling was um, like butterflies in her stomach. And then the auditory was a voice in her head saying to her, it's her own voice, I've got to find it. If she lost the spider, she'd go, I've got to find it because otherwise it's going to go in my mouth at night. She thought it was going to crawl in her mouth. So that was an auditory response. So the visual um, visual um, distortion I did, is called a dissociation technique. I got her to watch the original event as though she was in a cinema and it happened um, to somebody else. So remove the immediate emotional connection by replacing the original memory with uh, a duplicate memory that made it feel like it was somebody else it was happening to. Then I did an auditory change where she, I told her to pull the voice out of her head and tell me where it was and she pointed up to the right. So I walked around her and repeated the voice but when I got to the point she said it was coming from I laughed and said to her this is funny that this you're scared of a little spider this is ridiculous right. Mm -hmm. So it confused the mind Normally the auditory is from there, but now it isn't, it's everywhere but there. And then the physical sensation, I got her to imagine it, pull it out of her body, showed her how she could change the color, shape, texture, temperature, and then told her to change it and um, flick it away into the distance. And as it went off into the distance, the fear went with it. And so before I started, I said to her, imagine there's a spider on the table and she actually stepped back, even though there was no spider, just thought of it. And when I finished, I said to her, imagine there's a spider on the table. And she just said, I don't, I don't, don't care. Mm. And even now, she still tells me this was, um, this is probably 2014. Um, so even now, seven years later, she sees a spider and she feels nothing. And that's what I do. I just remove all emotional attachment to it. Yeah. So seven years, I've not had to do any sort of top up. She's, she's, phobia's gone. Yeah. And is this a technique that you'd use similar for a limiting belief, such as somebody not feeling confident enough or strong enough or fun enough? Would yeah. you do similar? Yeah, I would all, I would go on how, if you, if you came to me as a client and I and wanted some help, I would go on anything you tell me. So I would say to you, you know, What's it like when you feel a lack of confidence? You know, you might say, I struggle to do, imagine you struggled to do this podcast. That'd be a bit ridiculous, wouldn't it? Because it wouldn't be very successful. <laughs> but imagine you said, you know, I get butterflies doing this podcast. You tell me, you've told me what I need to fix because you told me I get butterflies. So I would distort the butterflies and therefore distort the fear. 
because in my mind, fear doesn't exist. Fear is created. It doesn't, it's not tangible, is it? Why is it that some people are um, scared of some things and others aren't? And then we're all scared of different things, aren't we? So it can't be real. So we create fear within our minds because thoughts aren't facts. Thoughts aren't real unless we believe them and then they become real. But I could be scared of anything. I could persuade myself I'm scared of anything. So a lack of confidence is usually accompanied by a fear of something. Mm. And that's where people get, uh, I'm scared this might happen or that might happen. Um, but the main thing of clients I see, 90% 90, 90 of them, even more than that, are women. All of them, all clients I have, have a low self-worth or self-belief, a belief they're not good enough. And most of them have anxiety because of that. And I help them all increase their self-worth, their self-belief, their self-confidence, their self-esteem, and um, reduce the anxiety. And I teach them methods to manage their anxiety. Yeah. Because anxiety needed, but not to the extreme that a lot of people get it. Yeah. And with NLP and hypnotherapy, are there any common misconceptions that you think are out there regarding these subjects? Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of people think that because I can hypnotise people, I can make you do things that you don't want to do. I make you cluck around like a chicken. But I can't make you do anything you don't want to do. Mm. And, and ethically and probably legally, I can't anyway. I mean, why would I make anybody do something I don't want to do? Because if you discovered you were doing it, you could sue me. So I don't, I wouldn't do it. It's not like stage hypnosis. People, that's what people think, because that's their only, um, their only kind of evidence of it. Their only you know, recognition of it is where they've watched someone on TV or at a holiday camp who hypnotizes a load of people on stage to do stupid things. So when I come along and say I'm a hypnotherapist, which combines hypnosis with therapy a lot of people I'm usually the person they go I've tried everything and now I'm coming to you and NLP a lot of people don't even know what it is yeah absolutely and with those things in mind uh, do you mind then moving on to CBT what's CBT like in comparison to the NLP and the hypnotherapy so CBT is a lot more, I guess in my mind, it's a lot more logical because CBT is um, cognitive behavioral therapy and it centers, and this is a massive simplification of it. So I apologize to anybody that's listening that um, rolls their eyes at this. It's basically perception changing. So how thoughts are connected to feelings and feelings are connected to behaviors. So um, I describe it like this. There's a, imagine a cycle, um, you start off at input, Input comes in through our five senses, something we see, something we feel, something we hear, smell or taste, or something that comes through our intuition. Based on that input, we have thoughts on that input. So something happens, we have a thought, those thoughts and those thoughts alone control our feelings and our feelings then influence our behaviors. So a lot of people don't realize it's only our thoughts that control our feelings. There are, there is, there are exceptions to this, but they're very few and far between. They're called anchors. And it's where an input creates an immediate emotional reaction or feeling, right? So skip out the thoughts. Here's an example. We've all got one of these. You can hear a song 
that makes you cry without even thinking about the song itself. You just hear it even in the background, you start getting emotional. Mm. And so what that is, is that it's, repeat, it's been repeated in our mind um, or an original memory has created such a strong emotional reaction to it that we don't even need to think about it. We get that same emotional reaction. So I always pick a song that makes us cry. I think everybody resonates with that. But thoughts, um, our thoughts control our feelings and then our feelings influence our behaviours. So lots of people will come to me and say, um, this, this happened and this means that. So I've got a post on my page that says, this doesn't always mean that. Because a lot of people get trapped in that. Well, you did this, so that means that. Right. Or you've made me feel this way. So what I do with my clients is I show them that nobody makes them feel any way themselves it's us that chooses to feel this way based on our thoughts i'm going into a, i'm going to go into a lot of detail here so just stop me if you if you've got any questions okay right. so where our thoughts then create our feelings so you're my input what you say to me i think about what you said and then i create my feelings based on my thoughts okay if you were to insult me then it's my choice whether i get insulted by it or not so if you say something to me, um, I usually describe this in three different ways. I call it feedback. So if you say something to me in a, in a kind of spiteful way that I don't believe about myself. So if you said to me, you're, you're a terrible therapist in a spiteful way, um, I wouldn't get upset by that because I don't believe you. And also, you're, I would assume you're deliberately being spiteful because you want to upset me. So I choose not to get upset by someone who's trying to deliberately upset me. But you might pick something that I believe about myself and therefore it would create more of an emotional reaction within me because if you pick something that I didn't like about myself or, or was kind of embarrassed by or whatever, then of course it's gonna give more of an emotional reaction because my thought's gonna be, that's true. However, if you do it in a spiteful way, once again, I don't care what you've said to me, I don't, I'm not going to get upset by that because you're deliberately picking something to upset me. But if you care about me and you want to give me some feedback because you want me to improve, you're going to pick something that I don't like about myself, but you can do it in a nice way, right? Mm. So although I might be embarrassed or a little upset, I'm going to, that's kind of be diffused by the fact that I know you're trying to help me. So there's perception change, right? So the input is an insult. But by changing my thoughts and thinking he's actually just trying to insult me, I gain, I keep my control. But if you pick something that is something I don't like about myself, but you do it nicely, I'll just say, okay, that's embarrassing, but he is just trying to help me. Yeah. And so either way, it diffuses, um, diffuses the emotional reaction. Yeah, of course. And with that then, do you believe that it's solely our internal world that reflects our external, like almost in a law of attraction sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, at the end of the day, we all perceive reality differently, right? And so we can't assume. So if you and I are on the street together and we notice, we watch or witness a car accident and the police turn up and they want a statement from us, you and I are right next to each other on the street. We see that car accident from the same angle. Why isn't our statement to the police exactly the same? Because we have a whole load of different things going on in our minds. 
you might have seen a hundred car accidents and that might be my first. So even at the, as the car accident happens, you will be more calm than me because you've experienced it enough times, I'm assuming, unless you've been in a hundred car accidents and even just a little bit of an accident triggers you to, to have a negative reaction. But let's assume that you've seen so many that you're actually pretty like, yeah, kind of, I get this. I'm panicking because I'm like, oh my God, this is the first, first car accident I've ever seen. Or I could go the other way because I've never seen one I could be really calm. Either way, our reactions are gonna be different based on our experiences. We've also got primary or preference, a preference for how we take in information. So you might be a visual person and I'm more of an auditory person. So in my statement, I'm gonna talk more about what it sounded like and you will talk more about what it looked like and the colors, et cetera, color of the car. I might talk about the sound of the screeching brakes and the crash itself. You might talk more about the color of the cars, etc. Then you've also got to think about the fact that we process it through our minds in a different way and also filter it through our experiences because you've seen 100 car accidents and given statements, you know exactly what the police are looking for, whereas I've never done it before and therefore will just do it whatever way I think is best. The car accident, you can replace that with any situation in your entire life. And this is why we get frustrated with people and we go, why have you just reacted like that when all I was trying to do was say this or do that? It's not about what we've done. It's about how they have filtered it through their system, if you like, and, and communicated it out. Yeah. So it's also about how we speak. It's also about um, how good we are with dealing with stress. Um, there's loads of different loads of different aspects to it. So even though you and I could have seen the same car accident or watched the same thing on TV, we aren't ever going to give exactly the same statement due to us just being different people. Yeah, of course. And one thing that you mentioned um, a couple of minutes ago, which struck me, say if somebody was to insult you about something that you do believe about yourself, where you do get a bit upset, Based on yeah. your practice, how would you advise somebody to handle that insult? Um, I would, <laughs> I, I often refer back to my Instagram page, which is crazy because my quotes on there are all from me, from my sessions. But now because they're on there, I <laughs> refer back to them. And I would probably read um, a couple out to them. Here's one, power, which is also your control, Power, you can either keep it or you can give it away. If you allow someone to have it, that's your choice to do so. If you let others upset you or control you, that's you giving them your power. If you lose control, you've lost your power. Power, you can either keep it or you can give it away. So it's about retaining your control within your mind so that you can deal with the situation. So if you use CBT, that's insult is the input. If I think to myself, wow, he's trying to upset me. I'm, you know, this is, why is he doing that? What's wrong with me? Why has he done that? He's, he's this, he's that. Get angry by it, get upset by it. I've lost my control. I've lost my power. Because with those thoughts, my feelings are going to be maybe anxiety or anger or whatever, sadness. And when I'm feeling anxious or angry or sad, my behaviors based on that are not in a good place to deal with the input because we're going full cycle here mm. input thoughts feelings behaviors and then input 
So if I want to deal with your insult in a more logical way, I'm going to say this to you. This is what I advised another post. No normal person who has their life together and is in a good place feels the need to put others down and criticize them. Next time someone does this to you, ask yourself, I wonder what they must have going on in their life to feel the need to talk to someone else like that. Notice how it changes the way you feel. So I would, um, I would basically say to the person that comes to me, think about why that what their need was to do that to you and say that to you. Mm. And then think about the fact that it actually has nothing to do with you. Because if, if they care about you and want to help you, they would say it in a nice way. So if they're doing it in an insulting way, it's more about the fact they want to deliberately upset you. And so they want a reaction. They want to take your power. Don't let them have it. Stay in control because the most powerful response we can have to an insult is an indifferent one. So just show it doesn't affect us. And by showing someone, actually, your words don't affect me, they're powerless. So they won't carry on. Me, when I get insulted, when I get, I mean, I've been trolled online, I say thank you. Because although I'm not going to do anything with it, I'll just say thank you. I once had a guy troll me online and I said to him, um, it's a bit harsh, but I did say to him, thank you for showing me that I have meaning in your world. The fact that you've taken the time to process those thoughts and put them down in a message and send them to me shows me that I have meaning within your life. When I look at you, when I think about you, it's like looking at a brick wall. I feel nothing. So actually, you've shown me that I have more meaning in your life than you have in mine. And I didn't know him. I didn't know him. And then I ended the message with that part about no normal person feels the need to do that. If you'd like therapy to help you, let me know. And he actually asked me how much my sessions were. Wow, okay. And did you treat him? We didn't go any further than that. I think it was, uh, to be fair, it's probably, I would, I would never have helped him because it was too late. But the bottom line is, I think I feel sorry for people that feel the need to put other people down. I was asked to help a school in Wales with um, people, kids being bullied um, because obviously that, that trauma is stuff I deal with with clients now. Most of my clients have been bullied at some stage at school or, or before or after. And so I jumped to the chance and said, yeah, absolutely, but I want to help the bullies too. And they're a bit shocked. They said to me, like, what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. why, why we have bullies? Said, no normal child that, that is in a healthy family, healthy situation would feel the need to hurt another child, either physically or emotionally. All behaviours are learned. We don't know anything when we're born other than we were born with two fears, loud noises and falling. All other behaviours are learned. So if they've learned to bully someone, that means they must, be, they must be learning it from somebody else or a parent or another authority figure or another child at school and feel the need to put somebody else down, to gain power perhaps. No normal child feels the need to do that. No healthy child in a healthy relationship with their family feels the need to do that. So therefore, the bullies are the ones that need help. If we can help the bullies, nobody's going to be bullied in the first place. So we won't need to help the bullied. There won't be any. Yeah, of course, get to the root of the problem. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, can you tell me a bit then about uh, 
mental health first aider. What exactly is that? Because I'm unfamiliar. Um, it's, a, it's a relatively new course in the grand scheme of things. Um, it's for me, it was, I did it when I was managing, um, it's been a gym manager and it, it helps me massively because in my profession, I usually wait for people to come to me to seek help. But this course teaches you how to recognize if somebody needs help and what to do if you discover they do. Now, bear in mind, I did this from a point of view of not being a qualified therapist. So imagine I had no qualifications and was doing this course. This is about being able to help someone. Now, I believe a lot of the reason why people don't talk out about mental health is because um, A, they don't know how to talk about it and they're worried about it. And B, because a lot of people that listen don't know what to say. So a lot of people, if, if you opened up to me and said, I'm having problems, you know, I might not know what to say to you. I might feel a huge burden of responsibility to then help you and not know what to do. So this course allows you to not only recognize if people are needing help and to question them appropriately to help them open up, but it also helps you to um, understand where to go for help from there. And so I always say the most important people from my profession are the advocates of mental health. The two most important things I think we can do are share our own stories and listen without judgment. Because those are the things that help people. If we judge people on their mental health and nobody talks about it, less likely, it's less likely people are going to talk out in the first place. Yeah, of course. And with that, what advice would you give to somebody maybe struggling with their mental health and coming to terms with it for the first time? Ah, uh, advice. There are people out there, out here, that want to help you and you're not alone. And although your situation is unique to you and important to you, that um, others are going through it and help is available. You're not weird you're not a freak because you're feeling this way lots of people feel this way and there is lots of help out there never downgrade what you're going through because other people have it worse which is what i hear a lot of the time i didn't do anything because i know lots of people are in a worse situation it's irrelevant mm. your situation your problems your issues your pain is yours and it is as important as everybody else's is to them. Reach out, seek help, it's available. And people like me, we are so passionate to help other people. And also you don't have to feel this way forever. You, you don't have to, There's there are many techniques, even if it's not me, there's loads of great therapists out there or coaches that will help you um, and are waiting to help you. And I know it can be scary, because although you don't like the way you feel, it's safe, you're used to it, and actually changing is the unknown, I can promise you from my point of view, I will help that, you with that transition, and you will be happier, and you will be past what you're going through. Mm. I, could, I could talk like, I could go on for hours for that, yeah. because I'm, you know, some people, as I say, come to me and say, I've tried everything and now I'm coming to you. In one session, I make people feel better. They don't realise, they don't recognise that that's possible. Yeah, of course.
And with that, um, you mentioned earlier your mum with um, the fear of spiders. I can't pronounce the, the name, the official term. Arachnophobia. Arachnophobia, yeah. boom, that's it. <laughs> I didn't want to mispronounce. Um, do you mind, if you don't mind, are there any other testimonials that have particularly inspired you from your clients since you began, if you are willing to share? Yeah, yeah, yeah. loads. I mean, every testimonial inspires me. But I recently had a client um, who's, who's now a friend, Emily, and she had um, moved to Australia. Her parents had sent her to Australia. She is Australian, but she was living here. And her parents had sent her to Australia as a kid to live with her aunt and uncle before they moved there. And her uncle sexually abused her. And um, she, when she eventually spoke to her mum about it, she had quite a negative response from her mum. And um, she'd seen 30 therapists over 18 years. And whenever she said, they asked her, how do you feel about it? She said, I feel sad. And they said, you should feel sad. I'd feel sad too, that's acceptable. And so she carried on feeling sad because all the professionals were telling her to feel sad. She comes to me, I ask her how she feels, she says sad, and I say, what the f in hell do you feel sad for? You should feel angry. You should feel empowered by this and do something about it. And her first session, and it completely changed her. In one session, after 18 years and 30 therapists, it completely changed her. She got fire in her belly to fight it and dealt with it. And over the course of three sessions, I mean, to be fair, it was only two. The third one, we just had a chat. Um, she'd sorted it. She's completely different now, completely different. So her testimonial meant a lot to me. Um, there was also an, an older guy called Bill, who's the father-in-law of a friend, the friend, an actual friend that was a client. I helped her as well. He had lost his wife uh, four years ago from lung cancer. And she woken up, it was a shock kind of diagnosis and a shock death, to be fair. They thought she was going to last longer. And she woke up one morning and went to go to the bathroom and she collapsed. And I, I excuse for the detail here, I don't know whether you want to cut this bit out later, but she passed away in his arms, coughing up blood all over them both. And he's fine during the day and that every time he went, to sleep at, to bed at night, the thoughts of her in that memory crept in and he was having violent dreams, throwing himself out of bed, he injured himself um, and it had been going on for ages, for years, four years. And um, I uh, started to help him and basically I replaced the original memory of her coughing up blood with him holding her and her smiling at him and, and calmed him down and the nightmares stopped. And then on her birthday, he got another session and asked if he could talk to her in, this, in hypnosis. So I took him to the clouds above where he sat with her and he wished her happy birthday. And then I got feedback that that night she came to him in his dreams for the first time in four years and that's all he'd been waiting for. And I read his testimonial and I'm, I'm even getting emotional as I talk about it now. I'm having to stop myself from crying now as I talk about it. I burst into tears and I cried for 20 minutes as I read other testimonials because I read them and they mean a lot. But when I open myself up to them emotionally, 
I really recognize that I am completely changing people's lives and I, and I really felt it. And uh, I just cried for 20 minutes, but his testimonial was the, the, the trigger for me. That meant a huge amount. This old guy, every night, lonely, nightmares, injuring himself, now at peace, sees his wife in his dreams, can't even remember, can't even recall the memory of her coughing up the blood. Can't even picture it anymore because I've replaced it. Even when he tries, he can't bring it back. So they're just a couple of, um, of, of you know, examples of where um, I really get emotional thinking about the, the difference that I've made. Yeah. Do you think that is the favourite part of your practice, knowing that you can have such a profound impact on so many people's lives? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and this is why I get a little bit like if I talk to you and I notice something, I'll, want, I'll jump in and try and help, which isn't always um, the right thing to do or appreciated. <laughs> because obviously, if people aren't ready to seek help, they're not ready. So I know that if I get someone on a consultation, nine times out of 10, I'll get them into sessions and I can help them. So sometimes I have to little, be patient, wait for people rather than jumping in and helping. But I know I can help everybody. And if I can't, I have an unwavering confidence that I can help everybody that comes my way, even if it means referring them to somebody else. I know I can help them. Yeah, of course, that's helping a different kind of capacity. One thing that I want to ask you, Will, is from all the people you've seen so far and all the experience you've had in these fields, are there any top tips that you have for people to living a healthy and happy life, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, there's there's lots of, um, sometimes they're called ingredients for good mental health. Uh, make sure that you've got a really good support network around you and you are safe enough and feel, feel safe enough to open up and share how you're feeling. Um, make sure you've got good food and nutrition, lots of water, exercise, time outside, um, make sure that you are, you know, have some education so you're testing your mind, keep occupied, uh, hobbies, really good hobbies as well, and just notice how you're feeling. And if you start to feel a little bit down, it's, it's okay to just talk to somebody and just say, I'm not having a good day today, can we have a chat? You don't have to be falling apart. I mean, mental health, it'd be lovely if we treated it like physical health, right? So if we get out of shape, we join a gym, we get back in shape, we stay there to maintain it. But mental health, most people have to be crashing and burning before they even reach out for help. Wouldn't it be lovely if people had therapy when they felt their best to maintain feeling their best and then continued it regularly every now and again, if you like, to maintain their best rather than having to reach out because... They've lost all hope because they can't pick themselves up. Yeah, of course. Just maintain your good mental health. When you're feeling good, recognise what's making you feel good. Notice your thoughts. Notice who you're with, who you're interacting with, what you're doing. Do more of it. Yeah, simple as that, really. And coming to the end of the conversation, Will, the question I always like to ask the, ask the guests before the end is quite a tricky one. Based on, you know, you've obviously had a quite a lot of experience up until now in all of these fields, you've been successful at it. 
What would you like to achieve in the near future? This can be related to your, pre your practice or anything else that you have on the horizon. Oh, now I'm really happy doing what I do. I get to help a lot of people. I have a really, really good work-life balance. And um, so it's all good. I'm taking a week off this week. You're my only appointment this week um, because I recognised that I was taking, well, wasn't taking enough time for myself. So I've taken a week off, feel better already. It's only been, well, it only started on Monday. And so four days in, I feel better just from being in my own space and my own thoughts um, and, you know, getting lots of rest. Um, so for me, currently, I am really happy. However, I am very ambitious and I do want to help more people. So I'm looking at collaborating with a good friend of mine who's also a um, mindset and empowerment coach. Um, Lydia, her name is, she's often on my Instagram page. And we're looking at doing a course for men and women, couples or single people to understand how each other think as a man and as a woman so that we can build better relationships with each other. Excellent, that sounds great, Will. And where can we find out more about what you do online and on social media? I run all my business through my Instagram page, which is Will Life Coach PT. Will Life Coach PT. Um, it's, a, it's an open page, um, lots of stuff on there, live chats, quotes that I come up with, and um, testimonials. So everything's on there. And, um, you know, welcome anybody to come and follow me and I'll follow you back and start conversations and reach out if they need help. Excellent. Well, Will, can I say thank you so much for coming on today? I really appreciate it. I think the entire conversation, there's been plenty of takeaways that not only will I benefit from, but also the listeners. So a huge thank you and keep on doing what you're doing. I think you're doing some great work. Thank you so much. I, you know, I really appreciate anybody that um, feels that me coming on to any podcast or any recording will add value. I'm blessed to, to do um, what I love for a living. So thank you. I appreciate you, you inviting me on. Thank you very much. We'll take care. Cheers, you too.